0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy C I double Z Y, you dig? Live action back again with another episode of the Culture Talks. And I am excited, I am excited to bring my two top two because I don't even have a number three. So, my top two (laughs) favorite marketers you know, across social, you know, the the crazy thing is, I don't know either of these gentlemen personally, like, in terms of I've never met either of them in my life. I've never came across them social, made these relationships happen. And I'm grateful for that. So here to my left or right, actually, I don't know what it's going to be when I look at the video. But anyways,
1: Marty, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Awesome, brother. So thanks for having me. I'm, I'm a dual citizen, Spanish-American, I'm in Barcelona right now. I run this agency called Influence Podium, where what we do is we help uh, CEOs and investors grow their personal brand so that they can drive inbound opportunities. So we help them create content for LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, articles, press, uh, everything that helps them get their their name out and helps them drive new business to their clients, to their company, Uh, we help them do. We have a team of course writers, video editors. Um, So that's on the business side on a personal side, played college basketball. Uh, I'm a, I make some music. It's not good, but I make it. Uh, I'm starting to do a bit of a stand-up comedy as well. So trying a few different things and just trying to, to be happy a little bit. But like I said, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you, brother. And for those of you guys who haven't heard Brenova
0: on the past two podcasts we've had him on, obviously he's one of my favorites because I've had him on now three times, but he just provides good information and I really just like him as an individual. So we might have him on here 84 times. Go ahead and introduce yourself to those who don't know you, Brenova.
2: Yeah, so uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on again. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, my name is Brenova. I'm a marketer as well. Um in the digital space, digital marketer um i've been in the industry for about 7 years um industry that i'm in right now is a tech space in in b2b industry so what we do is focus a lot on demand generation um increasing traffic and things like that um so that that's that's been my focus for the last little while
0: and on the personal side i like how you did that marty so we're going to have Brennan do that too on the personal side yeah, yeah.
2: About you. on personal side is just basketball everything's just is all is just all about just watching sports consuming it um I've I've gotten a lot into um sports cards recently um just because of just a passion for basketball and then the investment. So it's 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 one of those things where those two worlds kind of come together and it makes it interesting and it keeps you kinda of glued to the game. So that's been a lot of my focus and then just you know, just continuing to grow, continue to learn as both a marketer um and just from a investment standpoint. So that that's kind of me in a nutshell.
0: Love it, I love it. So Two things that seem to be uh, constants that I see on social when I look at both of your guys' pages, especially right now um, with the with the new type of content Brenna has been rolling out, is basketball. So um, I do want to talk a little bit about your guys' feelings about the bubble right now. Um, you know, has has the NBA done a good job? What do you think? In your opinion um and just talk about the your favorite teams who you think's going to hit the finals and and uh maybe mvp just just share your little insights on what your your fan favorites are right now for basketball and how the nba's been doing in terms of you know finessing the the covid-19 lockdown
1: for sure so i think they've killed it right like they've shown why the nba is is beating all the other leagues in the states uh and why they have a better commissioner than, than football and the hockey and all these other leagues like uh, just being able to create this bubble, convincing the players that this is a, a good place and a safe place to go and that they have to leave their families behind for three months. Like, I'm sure that wasn't easy. So they had to, to trust the commissioner a lot and then having no cases so far. I think it's, they've done a tremendous job on that end. Um, it's easier when it's in, in Orlando because the weather's great and all that. But like I said, leaving your families and leaving... Uh, your Instagram models behind is probably not easy for three months. So, so I, I really dig what they've done with the barbershop with uh, the games that they're playing. And I love what's coming out of that from a marketing standpoint as well. We see a couple players, I think it's McGee and, and a guy from Philadelphia who are running uh, daily vlogs, which is something that like we've seen some entrepreneurs do like Gary V and now seeing the players like trying to step up their game. Uh, they're killing it, right? Like they're building great community. And, and the games are, have been fire. Like, I'm, I love watching Portland play lately. Uh, I'm a big Dallas fan because they have all the European players and I fuck with them. So, uh, if somebody has to win, for me, either Dallas or Portland, but overall, it's been, it's been great play for three or four months of, like, staying at home with no, with no basketball.
0: Awesome, awesome, and Brentov
1: thoughts?
2: Yeah, no, I, I just, just to, to Marty's point, I think they've done an amazing job. You you compare them to, um, NFL like the NFL for instance, the NFL you see I think every week you see like you know half the team getting COVID nineteen, um, and even college college uh, sports they've I think they've shut that down for for the year, especially like football and things like that. Um, and I know just looking at the bubble that costed about one hundred and fifty million to do something like that to put the whole thing together but week over week they have neg- like negative tests nobody's testing positive for covid which is which is amazing that's incredible work to do so i think the the legwork to do something that is a completely new territory for them and to be able to execute it at that level where no one else is is contracting the virus and they're safe is one you have to applaud them just for that ability to do that and do it so quickly uh, two is just yeah, to Marty's point, the games, like the games are all very, very close games. They put together really good matchups, like those first eight games were kind of, there's some seeding games, but they've put, they've been able to put together games where they're putting together really good matchups with star players, um, things that really draw people's attention in. Um, so one of the articles that I talked about was though, like the NBA is, is struggling with, with ratings. They've been struggling for, for a little bit of time. This wasn't because of the bubble, but it was happening before that. Um, so that's just something I think they have to address in general. But overall, I think the game is as good as it can be. Like you don't have fans, which is a huge component to any sports. Like that emotion and that energy that you get from fans, you're missing. But I think they've done extremely well, um, given the environment and the circumstances that they're facing. And sports is really just escapism. It's really just your ability to get away from, from regular life or some of the things that are going on. And right now is a very hard time. So for them to be able to pull this off, have really good games, have these stars all there, I think they've done an incredible job.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of crazy to see how, like, there's – I know they've done the little Zoom situation, the video situations with the screens, with the fans watching and stuff like that, which is pretty dope. But I think it's crazy how intense these games have been without any fans. Like, I don't exactly know what's. Going on inside the stadium, if they're really like simulating, stimulate, uh yeah, simulating sound and like fans, which I thought they were, but I can't really tell when I'm
1: watching. I'm a little
0: confused. So, uh, yeah, I think but, they are.
1: I, yeah, I think they're so, doing something like that.
0: But it's yeah, like playing I mean, pickup,
1: right? Like it, it just gone back to like five guys versus five guys and see who wins. And, yeah, and pickup on the gym like gets competitive with the best NBA players. I think it's gonna get super extra competitive, even if there's no fence. Yeah, I don't know if either of you guys play 2K, but it kind of
0: reminds me of like the early 2K days. I mean, still now, but definitely like 2K10, 2K11 when they had like the street ball incorporated mm-hmm. where you could pick random players from random teams and play them up against each other five on five. It kind of reminds me of that where it's like, imagine just getting high. I mean, obviously not every single team is a super team like you can make on 2k, but, but uh, either way, I just think it's really cool how intense and uh, how entertaining it's still been to watch without any fans, without, you know, without not the most crazy cool looking media coverage and stuff like that, they've still been able to make it look amazing. And uh, I think they're doing a good job. And to your point earlier, Marty, um, about the athletes creating content in terms of their daily vlogs, this is just a general question that's you know jumped up from that is do either of you guys think that um you know Gary Vee paved that way for athletes in terms of I know Gary Vee's not an athlete but he has a lot of attention from pop culture with rappers with uh pop stars with athletes um do you think he paved that way for like NBA players to start thinking about creating more content or do you think that's just happening just because of how the world's moving right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's, honestly, I'm not sure. I, I think Gary definitely made an impact on that. Uh, I know the, the guy who plays for Philadelphia, what the fuck's his name? Uh, Matisse, I think. Uh, he said that his reference was Casey Neistat, who's a YouTuber. Oh, yes, so, yes, yes. so it's interesting how these younger players have a very direct connection to the, to the YouTube world. Um and how they probably get more inspiration from them than even from the Gary V's and and other entrepreneurs from the world. Uh, So I think they're very connected to this YouTube culture of vlogging, like the Jake Pauls, all all these guys who have driven the culture for people who are a bit younger than us, but they're kind of the age of the rookies coming up. Um, So I I think in in that end, uh, it's probably a a multitude of factors, but it's good to see because it's the behind the scenes content that everybody wants to see, right? And and it's going to keep that for... For forever, and it's a it's a very special situation that I'm happy they're creating content and and doing that around. I think they should have done it earlier, but it's good to have it at, at least now. Sure. Any thoughts on that, Brendan?
0: Yeah,
2: I I think that it's I, I think Gary V. obviously has a social influence over these guys. Like I think there's a video where Serge Ibaka went to yeah. Gary V. to get advice on some stuff. He's a. So client he definitely of has yeah okay so yeah yeah. So, greater so.
1: Talent. yeah
2: okay yeah for sure so so they he definitely has like there's a cultural impact right like I don't think there's anyone on on social media that doesn't know who Gary Vee is so I think that like in, in general you see it the, I, I think that the change that you've seen over the years is a lot of these players are more about how do you build your brand how do you build your business beyond just basketball because there's this whole notion of you know we're not just athletes like we're we're businessmen when we 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 create restaurants and and business ventures and things like that so they're really learning from these guys like Gary V how to leverage a brand and bring in their own deals cuz guys like Javel McGee and stuff like that they don't necessarily get brand partnerships off their celebrity status they're going to be looking at like you know Nike's not going to come knocking on their door or Jordan brand or anything like that so by creating content, they're building their own personal brand and that creates their own business opportunities. And I think it's just a larger shift in the NBA from the 90s and the early 2000s to guys who are now more about you know, their business and how do you build you know, um, different streams of income through their personal brand.
1: And I, I think uh, we need we give to give credit to, to LeBron as well. I think he was one of the pioneers mm-hmm. of taking your own brand into your own hands and start creating content from a producing studio, right? He created that uninterrupted series that was dope, yep. right? Like, that was probably one of the best content series we've seen in a long time. And he was one of the first guys who, like, started to build his own brand. It's easy when you're LeBron, but mm-hmm. I think when, when you see somebody do it, then it's easier to do it yourself. So once LeBron yeah. started pioneering that, that's when a lot of the players, like KDE, started doing... I think it's called 32 on or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so there's certain players that I think are looking up to LeBron on that. I think Draymond Green has talked about this as well.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think um, I think it's funny, you know. I, I, another topic that I want to touch on that's still in this is what I just posted, I think it was yesterday or today. And um, um, What's his name? Anyways, guy from... I can't remember his name, but anyways, talking about the, 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 the web, websmith Smith, his, 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 uh, his organization that he got going. But, um, so with OnlyFans and I was talking about a couple weeks ago, how, you know, I just posted how, you know, some, some musical artists could use that as a space to, you know, charge for your content. Um, so I was wondering your thoughts on, um, I mean, I know you saw the post, Marty, because cause yeah. you responded to. I was wondering your thoughts on that, just maybe a little bit more in depth about what you think, where you think that can be, um, how athletes and how hip-hop uh, artists can explore using these subscription-based models to create more content and, you know, build some more money outside of basketball or outside of music.
1: Yeah, it, for me, it's going to be a very interesting evolution because premium content ha- has a place. and we've seen that in the Instagram model world, right? Like we've seen that OnlyFans link in bio type of thing. Um, But OnlyFans owns that culture. Like I think OnlyFans is probably has the biggest brand recognition for the younger people than more than Patreon, at least in my opinion. Um, So I think we're going to see an evolution of um, mostly artists and basketball players. I mean, athletes who start creating their own premium content and they put it on OnlyFans without having the sexual implications that it used to have. And, and I think the first example of that is Cardi B, right? I think she started her OnlyFans yesterday or two days ago, and she's just putting content, uh, behind-the-scenes content on the WAP video with, with Megan. Uh, so we're going to start seeing that more of that, um, and, and it's going to be definitely an interesting thing to see. Love it, love it. Any thoughts,
0: uh, or, or have you heard yeah. about that, Brenneville?
1: yeah no I, I've i been seeing that um
2: a, a lot of artists and, and things like that are moving towards that platform and I think when you look at it you you look at uh when you're on Instagram you're giving away access to your life you're giving away access to everything that's personal about you know like when you're on the road as an artist when you're touring all the backstage stuff so I think what what they're doing is they're just monetizing access to themselves like they're just making sure that, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to show you behind the scenes of me for, uh, preparing for this concert, like, let's pay for that. Because that's what fans want at the end of the day. And they're getting it for free on a, on a platform like Instagram. So I think you're just going to see potentially a shift in um, what's being posted. So, you know, you may not get the same level of access that you got on Instagram because someone like Cardi B is now taking more of the premium content and then moving it somewhere like OnlyFans where it's, it's, you're going to have to pay for that. So you may get a, maybe a more watered down version in, on Instagram. So it might be, you know, just a couple of pictures here and there with her and her family. And then now when you go on OnlyFans, that's where you get to see the behind the scenes, the, the tours, the road, like what, what it's like being on, on the road, what it's like being in the studio. You're going to pay for that access. And if you're a fan, you're, you're, you're going to spend that money, right? So I think it's just really um, artists monetizing access to themselves. Um, and this is a, that's a great platform to, 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 uh, do something like that on. Yeah.
1: And I think that, that what that makes is make the top of the funnel content even more important, right? Cause now yeah. you, you need to create that awareness with the free content first so that you can drive them a bit down the funnel. Um, For sure. And it's going to, I'm not sure it's, it's going to be watered down, but it's definitely going to change. And, and these personal brands are going to have to adapt and, and see how they, they use the whole funnel.
0: Yeah, and I think it's kind of like um, I was telling an artist earlier today um, about the, the importance of like singles. So when you're dropping singles, you're just dropping singles after single and releasing maybe 40 to, you know, anyways, a, a large percentage of the full product before you drop the album. So you can build engagement, so you can build awareness um, around you, your brand, your sound um and then you know once you once you have that attention once you can round up a community or and you have people that are interested then you can drop that full full product so maybe like you know the song the singles you already dropped plus another four or five songs so i kind of think about it in the same exact realm it's like okay cardi b is like dishing out cool content or snippets you could say of uh from full vlogs that are only on only fans but she's dishing a little bit of that out on instagram i think that's what we'll start to see same thing with when 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 athletes and other hip-hop artists start to tap into those subscription-based models but i i find it really cool i find it really entertaining i definitely love watching their day in the life videos when it comes to basketball players nfl players their training camp videos i think the the first the first sign of that was hard knocks for the nfl like a couple years ago although that's the whole team but that was like for me like my first uh exposure to you know seeing that oh behind the scenes content of these athletes is fucking badass (laughs) like this is amazing um so it's probably not gonna be as high quality um as as hbo's making like you know hard knocks or something like that but you know we know a lot of these young creatives these young videographers these young editors are dope at creating content so i'm sure it's gonna be amazing so um i don't know if you guys have any more thoughts on that but that i just wanted to get that out of the way (laughs) um but shoot we have some q a questions uh we we gathered some, I, I posted on my Snapchat, my Facebook, my Instagram to try to get a few questions, although they are pretty random, but a few questions from different individuals. Um, and I'm just going to ask them to you guys if that's fine with y'all. Let's get into it. Perfect, perfect. Um, so the first question we have here is from Matthew uh, from Snapchat. Shout out to Matthew, good friend in uh, Los Angeles, good guy, man, in Calabasas. Shout out to the Calabasas Knights um but uh the question is do you try to market to the masses or do you pick a target audience um for most people in you know marketing or that are kind of aware obvious there's pretty obvious question but go ahead and share your idea your your thoughts about picking a target audience or or when to just advertise um to the masses to a broad audience so you
2: always yeah you always want to pick an audience because when you have you know a certain amount of resources if you're trying to speak to everybody there's there's a there's a saying called spray and pray where it's like i'm just gonna put this massive message out to everyone and it's a very watered down version that doesn't so if you put out a message to a million people and or let's say all of canada or u.s or whatever that message does not resonate with any one individual or any group or anyone so that message is just going to kind of go like this and then it's just going to kind of crash and crash and burn a little bit so when you pick a group and you say, okay, in the, in the States, there's 300 million people or so. I'm going to pick this specific group that's interested in basketball, that um, is in this age group, blah, blah, blah. Now you can figure out, well, these are the pain points that this group is facing. These are the messages that resonate with them. And now you could write for that group. So you may not be appealing to like, the the large majority, but you found a group and a subset of people that that message appeals to. And it becomes much more effective than if I were to write a general message to every single person. So that's why you always want to make sure whatever you do, you you speak to a specific audience.
1: Yeah, I I love what you say about that because the way the message is heard by the audience is really important. So like using, for example, slang that the audience utilizes can can make the whole difference, right? Like there, there are certain words that each industry is common uh, usage, but they're not effective when you're applying talking to other markets. Um, so, so that's something definitely to consider. Uh, a, a practical tip that we we produce a lot of content in B two B, and one of the things that I I recommend is that you actually call out your target audience on every content piece that you create. So, if your target audience is B two B CEOs you want to call them out by name, especially at the beginning until your audience is clear on who you're talking to. So if you go through my Twitter feed, for example, you'll see a lot of, if you're a B2B CEO or as a B2B CEO, so I actually call them out by who they are so that they know it's for them. Um, so I, I think that's important to be very clear on who your, your target audience is. Uh, the issue that people come with me about that is that they say, but then I'm not talking to uh, other audiences that I'm interested about, right? Like, uh, I love B2B, but I also love basketball. Uh, why do I have to pick one or the other? And I think the key here is to like mix both. And like, I think you can create content with two audiences in mind that um, applies for both. And it's going to be, it's even more niche, niche down now. So a lot of our, my content reflects back to basketball. I know um, you, Brian, you've done that as well with my mixing uh, marketing and basketball. So like for who that content relates to, they'll relate to a lot. And they'll really be down for you uh, for the other people they want, but you don't want them anyway. So it's better to lose some people in the way than trying to appeal to everybody.
0: I love that. I love the last part you said there is like you, the individuals that don't pay attention or decide they're not like tapping and you don't really want them on yeah, your that's team fine. anyways. <laughs> okay. like, that's totally fine. That's the whole point at the end of the day. Like, you know, I was telling somebody earlier today, it's like, they're like, well, what about this person? You know, I want them to listen to it too. I'm like, bro, if th- if 34-year-old moms aren't listening to your music and they're they're not interested, then cool, bro. Like, let it go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right? you focus on the 28-year-old, you know, freaking whatever, single mom <laughs> likes or You know what I'm saying? Focus on who likes you. If they don't like you, or if they don't want to listen to you, don't waste your time there.
1: And I think a lot you of won't. it comes from so i think a lot of it comes from no, a ahead. mindset of scarcity right like it's only one percent of the market and one percent of the market in the states i mean i don't know how many people live there but it's three hundred million. One percent of that it's a lot of people right so like uh p- people think the markets are too small versus when you really think about it if you hit that market well that's more than enough that you need you were say, like, you,
2: no. I just just adding on to that is like there, let's say you even targeted 1% or half a percent of the U.S. market. Like to Marty's point, that's, that's a massive uh, population. And in addition to that, when you focus on one small niche audience and that audience is going to, and, and you serve them really well, that audience is going to amplify because they're going to tell their friends and their friends are going to tell their friends. And it's just going to, it's going to explode from there. So that's something really important to keep in mind. Like Seth Godin has this really good rule. It's called the rule of 10. And it's basically you have a product. Let's say it was music or food or whatever the case is. And you tell 10 of your, you find within your network, 10 people who that message would resonate with. And then those 10 people, you serve them extremely well. You make sure that the message is on point, that your branding, everything is really good. And then those 10 people are going to tell their 10 friends. And it's going to grow like that. But if you were to try to go after 100 people, that message and, and your ability to serve them well is not going to have that same effect as when you focus on that really small group. So again, I think, again, to Marty's point, just getting out of that scarcity mindset, focusing on a very small group of people and doing the most for them and see how that expands and, and grows for you without you having to put so much effort into the, the next 10 and the next 10, the next 10. Love it,
0: love it. And um kind of like a, a, a back of hand question to that is what are some ways uh let's give an example. So say there's an individual, he starts a he starts a service that 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 fixes computers or something like that, right? Um so he has a company that fixes computers, he's just getting into it for the first time starting a business. How do you find your target audience in like uh say kansas city missouri how is he going to find who he wants in the city to come to his shop i don't know if that's a good enough question if that's too broad then just how did how exactly do you find your target audience is there any technique is there any specific ways of doing this or is it kind of luck what is it
1: oh, you want yeah you want to go um, in?
0: oh sure sure um
2: So I think the first way is like, there's, there's obviously the planning phase of what you're, what you're selling, right? So you're selling, let's, you said, uh, computer products, uh, Carlos. Yeah. Okay. So if you're selling computer products, you think about, I think it's just almost like a, a brainstorm, right? Like you're looking at like, okay, well, I'm selling this computer product who is going, who ideally is going to buy these computer products. And you start kind of working from there and saying, okay, well, students going back to school. Uh, in September generally need to buy computers because they're moving off to university. So I want to target these guys. You could start from that method. And then when you start going after these guys, what happens a lot of the time is you start getting into into the weeds of the market and you start seeing like, okay, wait, there's this other subset of individuals that I didn't even think about because they started asking me questions. I think that's one way to do it. I think a second way to do it is also to look at competitors. So if you're you know, um, in that computer space, you look at maybe a couple of your competitors that are about the same size and you look at kind of like what Marty was saying before is like, who are they speaking to in their ads? Are they talking to CEOs, um, of companies? Are they trying to sell enterprise size companies? Or are they trying to sell, you know, small businesses, or are they trying to go to the end consumer? You can look at it that way as well. You could kind of research it. And then I think the third part of it is also looking at data. Um, You know, you could even go online and see, you know, through a quick Google searches, you could quickly see um, how many people bought computers last year in uh, in, in this specific state. And of those people who bought it, which type of consumer was this? You can find these type of reports and it'll help kind of lead you on the right path. But one thing I will say, though, is that when you start putting out the advertisements and you start going after the market, I think many times, and it's not always, but I think many times what happens is that you could discover a whole new market once you get out there and you start talking to people. You might realize like, oh, wait, like these technicians, I never even thought about them, but these IT guys in this specific field really need new computers and I could serve this industry. So a lot of it is part of execution and there's another phase that's a lot of it is, is research as well.
1: Yeah, I think you make a great point there and, and we're very much on the same page. I think the first thing you're going to do is go talk to people, right? Like go to the market and talk to them and, and see where that lands. Like sometimes you have to talk to a lot of people to understand the market better and to decide which one you think you're going to fit in best. Uh, the second point that I would say is also look at yourself. Like what additional skills that you can bring to the table can fit in better and create a target audience. And so with, with the computer example, it's a bit different, right? But um, Let's say you, let's say he wants to fix computers and he's also a gamer. Now let's go through for the gamers because it's what you understand better from the beginning, right? So trying to look at yourself and what other parts of your life can create a niche and bring them together, which makes you very unique versus your competition because how many people fix computers are also gamers. Gamers want to talk to gamers. So I, I think it's important to um, see what else can you bring to the table that makes you, so unique to your competitors that it's not a decision. And then, third, I say sometimes it really doesn't matter. Like, sometimes you just have to make a decision, go for it, see if it works. If it doesn't, you change. If it doesn't work, you change. And, and you keep doing it until you find it. For us, we started what do we start with? We started with CEOs, investors, or BPs, or like C-suite like C-suite individuals at, at big companies. Then we found that um, other executives and investors were not a good fit for us and that we wanted to focus on B2B. So we adapted. When we were in B2B, uh, so, sorry, when we were in CEOs, we found that B2B was the niche that we actually had to go down. So we ended up with B2B CEOs. So you, you start with one place, but some people get stuck in this stage of like, let's think what niche I right, go for. It. Just fucking do something. And then after that, you'll figure it out. It's often a trial and test run until you you find what actually works. I love it. I love it. Um what would you
0: say to like somebody who, you know, has chosen who's gonna be their target audience? They're like, This is who I want to be, my target audience, this is who I want, and then they try to, you know, um market to them, they try to advertise to them and they're not getting any feedback. And it's and it's you know, it's taking let's say it's just taking a while they're just not getting feedback these it seems like these people aren't interested would you suggest to them to like you know like okay maybe that's not your audience uh look somewhere else or would you suggest for them to you know maybe break down and look at what they're doing and seeing if they can do it better was that a clear question
2: yeah yeah no that, that was clear um i think if you're not getting feedback i think you need to look at the length of time That you've been trying to communicate with that audience. Uh, Second, you want to look at, um, really go back and look at what are you putting out. What is the quality of content or ads or whatever the case is that you're putting out? Like, you know, run it, run a test and ask someone. Take that to someone that would fall within that, you know, audience of yours, like within that target market, and just ask them, like, what what do you think? Would you would you go respond to this? Because then that's going to be a good like barometer to tell you, okay you know what this person and a couple people asked like two to three people, all of them said like they wouldn't respond to this and make sure that's your target audience, not someone that's just like a friend or that is not related to your target market. Um, and I think once you come to understand, like I've been doing this for a year, I've seen zero results. Um, the feedback that I've gotten, you know, in these one-to-one, you know, discussions are, are not so good. I think that's a clear indication that you should shift. But I think also, um, in any role, whether you're an entrepreneur or, or a marketer, I think the ability to pivot quickly when you realize that something's not working um, is really important. So just making sure that um, you, you are talking to people that you are um, really looking at how long have you been doing this for? And then you can decide, okay, I need to make a, a shift in what I'm doing in terms of my target audience.
1: Yeah. And it's a tough balance to find, right? Cause you, you want to do it for enough time to, so that it, You can get meaningful results, but then you also want to shift quickly. So it's hard for that. And I don't have any advice on how to do that. I kind of try to do it by intuition, but it sometimes doesn't work. Um, So so trying to find that balance is important. Uh, Other than that, uh, I do think people don't owe you uh, feedback. Like they don't owe you feedback on your product or your service. So if you're not getting it because they're not responding, I think you have to look at what you're doing before that. In order to deserve some feedback, so for example, when we started the company, uh, we found five people that we really wanted to work with, and we spent a week creating free content for them. So we found a podcast that they did in the past, we repurposed it into micro content, send it to them for free, which would like cost a thousand, two thousand bucks normally, and and that asked for a meeting, and then on that meeting we told them like we don't want to sell you anything, we just want to talk to you a bit about what we're doing. And see if you have any ideas and all five of them said yes because we had delivered value up front so just going to people and asking can you give me feedback on that like i'm busy i don't want to do that shit so so it's important to to think of what you're doing beforehand and not being selfish on that approach i'd say i love it i love it i love it so
0: how this is also a question um that also just kind of goes i think on the back end of that is a question from johnny from snapchat so how or Hunter, my bad. How do marketers uh, acquire accurate uh, analytics when it comes to their audience? So, we're talking about quote unquote feedback or seeing if things work. How exactly do you get like good analytics? Because not all analytics are good, you know, like it, you have to clean it. So, how exactly do you go about that. So say, I don't know, it can be on Facebook, it can be on Instagram, or it can just be from anything else. How exactly do you find out good data from bad data from trash? Like, how do you analyze that? And how do you figure out what's like some good data you can go off of?
1: Yeah. uh, A couple of thoughts on that. One is um, a lot of data is vanity metrics and you shouldn't worry about that especially with us that we're doing a lot of content. Like uh, there's a lot of metrics. There's a lot of metrics that um, our clients might care for that are not really important. Like how many followers you have, how many impressions. That matters, but to an extent. What really matters is how many inbound opportunities we're bringing you and how much money we're making. you. Because at the end of the day, that's what we need. You cannot go to the bank with data about how many followers you've grown this month. Uh, so, So that's one thing that I would mention. And then the second, it's kind of like basketball. I always make that reference. Uh, not everything in data in can be measured. Like not everything in marketing can be or has to be measured. Like if you dive on the floor on a basketball game, it, it's not a steal. It doesn't show up on the stats. It's just a play that you did for effort. It can totally change a game and make you win a game. Like cheering for your teammate, uh, doing a defensive help and, and closing out on a shot, then he misses. Is that a stat? Probably not it can really mean mean something it's the same thing in marketing there's a lot of things that we track that don't really matter and we all we should focus on the north start metrics versus everything else that nobody really cares about
2: yeah i just just to that point i think yeah for sure there's there's a ton of vanity metrics like that really don't matter and I think at the end of the day, marketing—you know—the function is really, especially with with demand generation stuff—is—is is, is driving deals, and and you're measuring it by that—that that should be the final thing that you measure it by. And I think other areas are hard to measure. Like, it's very hard to measure brand sometimes. Like, you could run like you know, you can go through um, a, a research group. You could you know do brand recall and awareness and things like that. But those are those are not easy when when you're first starting out to to pay for those type of things. But um, making sure that your data is clean is like there's, you know, that saying like garbage in, garbage out, right? So make sure that your your systems and everything are set up correctly. So, you know, like if you're using a, a CRM system and, and you're measuring stuff, like make sure those things are set up correctly, make sure that you have someone who's able to run that property, like a marketing and ops person that, that has knowledge in that area and is able to set those things up correctly. Um, and then look at your numbers and sometimes it's just pure reasoning. Like if you saw, this is a, I, I kind of think it can be at times a vanity metric, but like if you're looking at open rates and you see a 95% open rate to a bunch of prospects, like customers that you're just reaching out to, and you know, on average it's, it's 20%, that should tell you there's, there's something wrong there. If If you're 75% above what your normal open rates are. Um, so you should look at, you know, just using just kind of common sense a little bit with with what you're looking at. Um, and that comes with understanding your historic numbers. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like the question is, is um, and the answers are, are a little bit uh, like they're getting kind of deep and very intricate into into the marketing areas. But I think with, with marketing is just starting with the research of what are the metrics that matter. And it's really, are you able to close deals? And are you seeing that there's good quality traffic being driven to whatever platform you're driving them to? Is, is really the starting point.
0: Love it, love it, love it. Hey, if I could fist bump both of y'all through the screen, I would, because you know, y'all coming with the fire. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Well, so we, we've talked about, um, or e- both of you guys have mentioned the word brand, and um, a lot of people. I feel like it's a word I see all the time, all the time, like, and even I'm, you know, guilty of using that word a lot too, but can both of you guys give your own, I guess, personal definitions of what brand is, like, what is that, what even is that, especially to those listeners, Um, you know, because I will say, especially on the Culture Talks podcast, a lot of my listeners aren't quite at the point where they're professionals are in something. And most of them outside of that are, are creatives who are trying to learn about marketing, are trying to learn about what these words mean. What is, why do I have to tell my story? What What is a brand? Like, what does this even mean, you know? So can he, can both you guys kind of touch on what brand, you know, what, what the definition of brand is or what brand means to you, and then talk about how people can, you know, push that.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'll talk a bit about personal brand, but I, I think it's very similar to the company brand. I think at its most basic, your brand is your reputation, right? Like what people think about you when they hear your name, where they're hearing Marty Sanchez or influence podium, what, what's their thought and what's the first impression that they get um, on that. And I think now that we have transitioned to a very virtual world and and where things are happening online, uh, your reputation now happens at scale and your brand is now at scale because before your brand was who you are on your hometown, right? Like, because it it never got out of that. But with um, how virtual we're working now, uh, your brand can be all over the world, right? Like we have, I'm in Spain, you guys are in the States. Uh, So your brand is now your reputation at a bigger scale than it has ever been before and why you have to take it into your hands, whether you're a creative, whether you're a business owner, I think it's equally important to um, grow that because that can help. In a very practical terms, it can lower customer acquisition costs, it can reduce uh, sales cycles, it can drive inbound opportunities. So it can really help your business or your creative career um, if you can control that. How you push your brand, I think the best way to do that is through content. Content is how you're talking to that audience. Content is how you talk to the market and how you're giving them value. So When they think of my name or, or my company's name, they think of somebody who has helped them, who has uh, taken the time to create consistent content and who they want to work with versus their our competitors. Um, so it's a very vague term and definition, but, but hopefully it, it kind of understands that who you are and what you represent is included into, into branding
2: yeah i I could i could um add to that as well um so i agree like just just what what do people think of as brand is really what do they think about you when they think brand like when you think you know volvo you think safety when you think nike you think like greatness like there's there's certain terms and there's words that come to mind and a brand is something that takes many many years in some cases to build it it is a very very difficult thing to build and and do it well and it's, it's, but it becomes a very, very powerful thing. So to Marty's point about, you know, lowering cost per acquisition, like you may not need to spend as much on marketing because your brand kind of speaks for itself. If, if I'm thinking, oh, I want to buy these pair of shoes and I think Nike, well, they didn't have to advertise to me right now for me to think about buying Nikes. They've been doing that for years. So they have built that equity that when I think sneakers, I think Nike, and that's the first one I want to buy. So that's why brand is such a powerful, uh, such a, such a powerful aspect of, of marketing. Um, and Collis, you had, you had a second part to that question, right? Like, I, I think I might've missed that one.
1: How do you push how it you to, forward?
2: Right? How do you push yep. it forward? Okay. So I think if I could add to, to Marty's point is, is pushing your brand forward with consistency. So every touch point in your organization should be consistent. So if you like, let's say we're, we're working on a smaller scale. If you were on Twitter, and Facebook and Instagram, your brand should be consistent across all of those platforms. Your logo, your color scheme, your fonts, all of those things should be consistent. And they look like very minor details, but you have to get the consumer or the potential consumer to look at it and not see a drop off in anything. They shouldn't be seeing red on Twitter, and then a blue logo on, you know, uh, Instagram. that That's not consistency. And I think, As you move towards larger organizations, your people are your brand. And and that's more important than anything. So everyone that interacts with your brand. So if I walk into an Apple store, you know, in Toronto versus Kansas, I should be getting the exact same experience because that brand is, is communicated to me by my interactions with people. And it has to be consistent wherever I go for me to understand, Hey, like Apple is super knowledgeable and they have the best customer service. So I always want to buy my products with these guys. So if I, if, if I could add anything about brand um, and how you push it forward, it really is around consistency.
1: Yeah, and I think that the message you stand for, right? And the positioning that you take can, can be huge elements as well. Like talking about Nike, right? Uh, they, they, when they work with Colin Kaepernick, like they took a, a position there as a brand that um, made them really loyal to some people, but made them completely opposite to others. So the message and what you stand for as a brand is really important. And, and it really can, like you were saying, right? It can really change the customer perception and, and what their loyalty comes to. I'm never buying Adidas. Like I'm buying Nike. And I don't want to go back to an Android. I'm buying Apple because of how I identify with the brand. And that works both in, in consumer products like or personal branding. Like I like certain rappers because I identify with them what they have positioned themselves as. Uh, So if you are clear on that, you will attract people who identify with you and that can make the whole difference. Yeah. And being unclear on that can be deadly.
0: I think, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're constantly switching up, um, (laughs) what you stand firm on, you know, it's kind of like the, the phrase, yo, like, I don't know, like, for example, like we'll see a lot of, at least people my age, I don't know what your guys' social channels look like, but, um, in terms of what I see every day on a day-to-day basis, like, yo, I'm solid, bro. I'm solid. I stand 10 toes down. I'm solid, bro. (laughs) And so it's kind of like that. Like maybe you say you stand 10 toes down as a company or as a personal brand, but as soon as you switch up and you go against your word or you go against what you, you know, said you were rocking with, you know, like imagine Nike stands for Kaepernick and then like a week later, they say some dumb shit about George Floyd, you know? So, you know, you got to be, like you said, consistent and then yeah so there's like 340 questions that came up from what both you guys said um so it's it's fun i got two two two-part questions so um number one uh so you talked about pushing the brand a good way to do that is through content and then i you know brenova followed that up with consistent content is kind of what i got from that um so i I, I would just
2: quickly just say like consistency in terms of you know, the people design that, that are, right? are the face of your brand, consistency with design, yeah. consistency yeah. with with font and language and things like that, because you want to kind of make sure that whoever's interacting with that brand understand that, OK,
1: well, this is this
2: is the brand. This is this is what they do.
1: Yeah. Okay, and they sense. get the same interaction over time. Right, Like you, you, exactly. you don't the same interaction that the website is it's the same interaction that you have to have from your employees when you go to the Apple store. If your stand for quality, it has to be stand for quality everywhere, not just in one place or the other. I thought it was a great point. I like that. Thank
0: you. That also cleared that up for me. That also reminds me I was like listening to an audio book about Lulu Lemons, uh how he how he built the business and everything like that. And it was just it makes me think about like when businesses start small and then they grow like really, really huge and whatever, you know, they might just super big businesses that go worldwide, then it becomes way more difficult to make sure that that brand consistency trickles down to the very bottom um, to stores. in like you said, Kansas compared to the store in New York or in Spain, when you become so big, like, and, and, and then when, when you see a lack of consistency of, of, when you see a lack of consistency, the, the company starts to fall. That's what I've been able to see. So thank you guys for sharing that. It's it's funny because these conversations are like great for bringing information to the world, but it also is just a selfish <laughs> it's right. a selfish endeavor on my part because I'm over here like, oh, word, that makes more sense now. I like that. <laughs> um, but I want to talk a little bit about content for for individuals. Um, and this this question is for both of you guys but definitely specifically targeted at Mar- Marty just based off of again the content you put out on Twitter. Um for somebody who comes up to you and you're like, "Yo, you got to be content. Way to push the brand. You got to you got to you got to be dishing it out." But then their answer, their response is, "Well, I don't know what to post. I don't like being on video. I don't I don't know how to write. I don't know how to um I don't I I I feel uncomfortable in pictures." Like, what do you tell that person like people who are like unsure of how to create content
1: it's a good question um i asked them what what do they what channel of communication they feel most comfortable i think that's usually my first question um so do they like to write better than to like do a podcast is audio something they feel comfortable versus doing a video podcast where they have to show their face so starting with communication channel is important honestly if you cannot write, you cannot talk, and you cannot do in video, then you should probably not do content. Like, I don't know what to tell you. But oh, you have to hire somebody that, do it, that does it for you. You have to hire us. But um, then the second thing is to not overthink it. Right? Like, not every content piece has to be perfect. Uh, you don't have to share an extremely valuable insight every single time. It's more about sharing who you are, especially when it comes to personal branding. It's sharing about who you are, your stories, the lessons that you've learned, the positive moments, the negative moments, um, the stories that make you feel like you're the best entrepreneur in the world, the stories that make you feel like you're not cut out for it, share about your mental health, share about what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, share about the lessons that you're learning along the way. I I think it's just uh, overthinking what you think the market expects from you or the audience expects from you. If you're just starting, nobody cares. So just put out content until it gets good. And the first thousand pieces of content will be trash. I started creating content uh, when I graduated from, from college. I came back to Spain because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I started a, like a e-commerce selling soccer jerseys. And it failed. Then I started one selling uh, basketball training gear. And it failed. Then something, one, I started a clothing store. And it failed. And everything was failing. And all I was doing is, was writing online on Quora about like, Okay, I tried this and it didn't work. Okay, I was going to try that. It's not going to work. So I was sharing all my mistakes. And, and that's what I got a couple million views in six months. And people started to reach out to me for ghostwriting. And that eventually turned into the agency. But my content at that point was just sharing what I was doing and sharing how, how much I was sucking. Uh, so if you don't overthink it, you're honest and you try to um, don't put any limits on what your content is you're eventually going to be a creative content. People are interested and feel connected to it with your brand. Uh, So first, find a communication channel you feel comfortable and then go all in. Don't care about stats. Don't care about what people say. I've heard people like my buddies say, why do you post on LinkedIn? You should not be posting on LinkedIn. Okay, bro, we're running a $300,000 agency of that, like of LinkedIn posts. Why would I? So if you close your eyes to everything else, you'll eventually create content that's good enough. Love it. Any
0: thoughts, Brennan?
2: Um, Yeah, no, that's that's some really good stuff. Like I think you have to find what your voice is. And I'm speaking from personal branding. I think you got to find what your voice is, where you feel comfortable, like whether that's writing, whether that's on camera, uh, whatever the case is. I think if you're a company that's looking to really brand itself, I think you also have to take into consideration like where is your customer consuming? Are they on Instagram? Are they on LinkedIn? Are they on YouTube? And you got to find where they are and then go there. And if you don't have anyone within the organization that is able to do that and and speak in the right um, message to these guys, then you got to hire obviously an external agency to come in and do that for you. So I think that's just one thing that to, to keep in mind. And, And again, is when you, I think to Marty's point is when you post consistently, You're working, you're making all these iterations at a much faster rate. So whatever it, you know, if you post once a week, it'll take you, let's say 52 weeks to figure out, wait, this is not working. But if you did it seven days a week, you're figuring that out in seven weeks, let's say. So when I, when we're kind of switching back to to personal branding, it's, it's really just how consistent are you with stuff and how quickly can you figure out what works, what doesn't work and how, how you can pivot with that. And I think that applies to both personal branding and, and to a, a company as well.
0: Fire. Hey, y'all, are y'all hearing this fire? <laughs> what, about what about y'all? Y'all hearing this? Wear it up, word up, wear up. Um, so you spoke about um some of your efforts in e-commerce. So this just made me want to ask one of the questions off the Q&A, because, you know, we're just jumping in, jumping out, yeah. we're just flowing with it. So uh, one of the questions were, um, what are your top three tips on how to successfully market my e-commerce store? So apparently, this individual has an e-commerce store is starting one up. So what you don't have to give three, but what are some what are some tips in regards to marketing an online store?
1: Bro, I'd say do the opposite of what I did for a year. Like I fucking <laughs> failed. I honestly don't know, man. It's it's tough. I think go get to consume content from people better than me because I don't have any good advice on that.
0: Hey, that's a great answer. <laughs> that's a great answer. I'm not going to lie. You know, my, 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 my first answer, like I responded back to him and I was like, honestly, bro, it's like, honestly, you know, you should just go on Twitter, follow, follow a couple of super dope e-commerce stores <laughs> or people who run them and learn. Yeah. And but you that, know, know what? That'd, that'd be my that's, advice.
2: That's, that that's sometimes what you have to do. You have to look around at people who are in a similar industry to you or doing what you want to do and studying that, like sign up for their email newsletters, sign up for all of those things. When I, when we were running a business before we were selling physical products, so we were selling it online. And what really helped us is there was a a, a really strong Instagram following. And what I was able to do is switch them into email conversions. How do you get Mm -hmm. them from offline? How do you get them off from a platform like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram? think about what you need to do to move them away. Is that a contest? Is that, um, you know, you just asking them because you built enough equity through driving value to them and then you build them into an email list. And when you build that email list, now you could talk to them one to one of hey, I have this promotion, I have this and get them onto your site. So you really need to think about, have you built an audience on these social platforms and how do you move them from the social platform either to email or onto your e-commerce website? You got to think about those things from those perspectives and then that'll help you understand okay now they're on my website I have a thousand people on here how do I optimize this website so that I can make sure that there's high conversions so what is the language that I'm using am I using testimonials on the you know the conversion page that make them you know click click buy am, am I am I auto filling this content rather than making them type out every single thing manually which makes them turn away so there's so many things that you have to look at. So, you know, have you built an audience? How do you move them off of there? How do you optimize your pages? Multiple steps. So to Marty's point, I think, look at somebody who's doing it better than you or who's in that place where you kind of want to be and then mimic that or, and find your own voice and your own way of doing that as well.
1: Well, that's fire. Especially the first two points, like community and then moving them to a channel that converts better. That, that's absolutely fire. We've seen that to work. I mean, it works the same way in B2B. If you can build an yeah. audience and then bring them to your email list or to your webinars or to whatever you're doing, but lower in the funnel, they'll convert. Um, so I I think those two points are absolutely on point for sure.
0: Okay. Again, fire. <laughs> but uh, we have so many... So many questions yet so little time. So I'm gonna hit you with uh maybe two more questions uh for the both of you guys and then we'll then we'll maybe see if we can make this happen again in the future to follow up on some of these other questions. But um so for for wow, blank. But uh oh yeah. So is there ever a point where like the product comes before brand? So like say say you know okay so you have your your whether it's a company brand or a personal brand you're selling a specific product so say let's just stick to personal since we've been talking about that so um simply you're an artist you're set or you're a t-shirt creator you're selling merch um how is there ever a point where like the product itself has to be like more like can be so fire that the brand doesn't even matter or will the brand always matter way more I don't know if that question makes sense. But. For sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's a great question, actually. Um, I, I think the product first approach is what used to work of, of, on, in the past. I think that's what people, especially people and companies were going after, like build it and they'll come um, was the idea. And, and I do think there's still s- some value to that. I do think it's important to create a great product um, and, and that a good product will eventually stand out. But in my opinion, what we've seen work best uh, nowadays is the complete opposite: build the community first, build the brand first, and then monetize it. Right? That's how all these media companies are are using it. Um, we've seen that doing from free newsletters to paid newsletters, from Twitter to Substack. Um, we've seen that on with artists as well. I believe it was Six Nine, who like he, it was either Six Nine or, or the Cowboy guy. I don't remember. But he built the community first with like memes and all that shit on Twitter, yeah. and then Old he Na- put a- Nas.
0: little Nas, yeah, yeah. Cable here,
1: yeah. And he built the community first just of being a funny guy, and then he put out the song. So I, I do think we're seeing more of like build a community first, build people who care about what you're doing, and you give them free value, and then find a way that you can monetize that. But before you monetize that, I say ask what they want because a lot of people like have this community or have this audience. And then they create a product that they think they're going to want and without asking them first. Like you have the community for a reason, fucking email them and say, do you like this? Would you pay for it? Would, don't even ask them if they would pay for that. Cause everybody says I'll pay, like send them a prepaid link. Like right? if you put out a book, like, can you pre-buy it? And, and will they spend the nine, 12 bucks at a discount to buy it? If that doesn't work, then don't even write the book. Like sell the book before you write the book. Uh, So I do think the community goes first, then prove that they'll monetize it. And once they're giving you cash, then create the product and improve the product over time. But first make sure that they're going to buy it. Otherwise you'll you'll waste your time.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you, you absolutely have to have like a good, a good product. Um, It's, it's, I think that's a core of anything that you're going to do because the, the product is is essentially what is keeping your, your brand promise, right? You're saying, I'm going to sell you the best sneakers in the world. They, they should be the best sneakers in the world. Um, but your, your brand really matters, especially nowadays, because part of the reason is because when there's competition, how do you differentiate yourselves and carve out like um, your own space within a very crowded space? So if you look at the number of influencers that are in the space, you could be putting out very, very high quality, good content, but you haven't carved out a brand that someone thinks to come to you as an influencer over other influencers, because they don't know what your brand is about. So I think it's almost like, you kind of have to do both at the same time. Like, I don't think you could, in in this day and age, with the the amount of competition that there is, because there's fewer barriers to to entry into most industries, I think you have to build um, a really solid brand. And then you also have to have a really good product. You can't really ignore one or the other. And what you see with a lot of companies, like to Marty's point over time, they, they strengthen this product and they make it better and better and better. And that helps them keep that that strong brand with, with their customers and prospects.
1: Yeah, but to, to your point about influencers, uh, I just want to say somebody has to fucking teach them about how to run a business because they're really good at like putting out this great content and building an audience. But it's a very different skill than uh, te- product testing, uh, creating a product that works. Like, uh, like I saw these influencers like uh, trying to run a business of of their audience, and like the sales, like the products are not shipping on time. The, the uh, copywriting on the website sucks. Like somebody has to teach them about the business side of things, and, and it's a good. Business opportunity that I think, and, and I've been talking with, like even with the only fans girls, like you need to teach them how to run the actual business. It's a very different skill than just being able to put nice pictures on the, on Instagram. Uh, it's a rant that I've had in my mind for a while, so I just want to put it out. Nah, that's a good point.
0: Also, that there right there is a business opportunity for somebody who have just heard that. <laughs> figure out how you get, sure. figure you, out how, you how to run do a that.
1: business. You'll make money. Just doing a commission based and. They're good at one thing, but they're not good at the other. Like, help them with the other. That's,
0: I love it. Um, I wanted to double back a little bit. You guys were talking, uh, you were sharing, uh, Brunova, about, you know, you know, building a community, then figuring out a way to, you know, convert them off of that. So whether that's to email or, or wherever else. Um, so I wanted to talk to you guys about what your thoughts were on the importance of ownership. Whether it's uh, whether it's just owning your entire company, whether it's owning your uh, intellectual property, whether it's owning whatever it is, I wanted to talk to you guys about the matter of fact. Let me make that a little bit more specific: the importance of owning your own platform when it comes to social. So, yeah, you, just you just your to, random thoughts. You have to
2: own. Uh, find a way to own um, your platform because you look at Facebook, you look at, um, Instagram, all of these things Well, same owner, but, um, a lot of these platforms, they, they look to, to, to monetize these platforms. So eventually it starts out free because they want to, you know, drive traffic. They want to get a, a big community on here. Now they have a big community and they want to charge you for access to speak to your community. So I've built up these audience, this audience of sports fans and, in order for me to get that full reach, I need to pay for ads. Um, and the reason why owning your platforms is so important because if you move them over to email, I believe the returns um, 42 to one um, for email. And there's no me, there's no middleman or there's no obstacle to me speaking directly to my audience. If I have a, a list of 10,000 people um, on email, I can email all 10,000 today versus if I have 10,000 on Instagram, from what I understand, your organic reach is a fraction of what it used to be. And in order to get the full reach, you have to pay for ads. So that's why it's so important to move these guys off of social platforms onto email, onto your website, where you now have their full attention and you have full access to that entire audience.
1: Absolutely, and like like you said, email. I think is a very undervalued uh, marketing tool. Like we found great success over email. Um, p- people tend to hate on it, but it's, if you can know how to use it, it can be really effective. Uh, there's also like RSS podcast channels where you own people coming into to your podcast. I think one that's coming, another channel that's um, we're starting to see is text message. Right, we've seen this mm-hmm. uh, artists and entrepreneurs and athletes. Say text me and and the number and it's actually them. Like you can text them. I mean, they're not probably not gonna answer or not to to everybody. Uh, But that's one channel that you own communication, um, which I've heard has higher open rates than email, uh, and it's working pretty effectively. A couple more thoughts on that. I think owning doesn't mean monetizing. So a lot of people, when you say you have to own it, uh, means they have to pay for the content. So not everything has to be a Substack premium. email list i think a lot of people are too quickly to go on on a paid email list or to start using a paid channel when not they'd be much more successful if they did a free one that people could share and build that community first uh, versus doing a paid because you're probably not good enough Uh, i I do think there's something to be said about free email list and delivering great content there versus making people pay because I'm only going to pay for like two or three, four people. Are you that special that are, you're going to make it on that list? Maybe, but for most people, you're not going to be that one. That one. Uh, and then you lose the opportunity to communicate with me. Um, and, and then, yeah, I, I think that's a good overall thought on, on owning the, the communication channel. But like you said, uh, the algorithm is going to hurt you sooner or later. And, and there's things that you have to do to move away from that.
0: Hey, well, first and foremost, you guys both gave amazing answers to every single question, whether it was a great question or a bad question, because, you know, I can admit when my questions are whack, (laughs) but uh, either way, you guys answered really great. I think there was a lot of value, Um, overused word, I know, but I think there was a lot of value that you guys provided um, throughout this conversation. I have one final question going back to the NBA. And I just kind of wanted your thoughts on it. It was something I read the other day that I thought was really interesting. I shared it with you, uh, Brenova, but um, it was an article talking about um, how the NBA can monetize its um, audio uh, assets. So, They were talking about, we've all seen the YouTube mic'd up videos of NBA, NFL, things of that nature, Um, but they were talking about placing even more microphones around the court so that people, you could really pick up the conversations between the referees and the coaches, the coaches and the players, the player to player um, interactions and figuring out ways to monetize that, and since Spotify has you know created so much value in the in the in the audio world in terms of you know making podcasts big and purchasing these big podcast platforms um it was just and, and we all know that audio is becoming huge now podcasting is starting to become saturated or, or it might already be um so anyways i just kind of wanted you guys' thoughts on that about the nba monetizing somehow some way um their audio assets and just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts um on that I think it'll be dope as shit I'd definitely be down to pay um to 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 listen to specific types of like specific ways or whatever like see if I was to get a LeBron and Kobe talk back in the day it's like full conversations throughout the game I would definitely pay for that I'm not going to pay for the Minnesota Wolves versus (laughs) Fucking can... <laughs> Phoenix. I mean, now I like Phoenix. Actually, I can't cap, but you know what I'm saying. I'm not gonna pay for certain things, but go ahead, uh, talk F- about it.
1: Yeah, Phoenix was the the best point guard in the game. So like, leave, leave Phoenix from the line.
0: My bad, my bad, my bad. Hey, I, but, I'm not gonna it, forget bro. when Devin. Hey, when Devin Booker dropped like 71 a few years ago, I was like, oh, that boy is nice. Yeah, that he's boy special. Is nice, nice.
1: He's, he's special, and when boy. playing with Ricky Rubio, he looks even more special. Hey, shout out to shout out to Spain. <laughs> shout okay. out to Ricky Rubio, bro. <laughs> he's the homie. Uh, Rana, what, what do you think about that what do you think about? Um,
2: the- I think yeah so I think why podcasts are so popular is because you people have I think low attention spans so I could listen to that podcast and work out and drive and I could multitask that's what everybody is doing now when you're on your phone you're you're doing like 10 million things and that's what that's I think the the attraction to podcast is it allows me to keep doing multiple things I can tune in and out you know, where I, where I want to. Um, so the NBA taking advantage of that and, and leveraging some audio is, is a super uh, important thing. And, and because you see that, you know, their TV ratings are, are not doing as well as it has in the past um, and they need to find new revenue sources. If you can't put people in seats, well, what is the next best thing? But I think if they, if you're going to charge for something like that, like the product that you're paying for in the amount that you're paying has to be extremely high value. So you know, people think in terms of stories. Like they want to see a beginning and an end. Like you watch a game, there's a beginning and there's an end to it. And when you look at NBA storylines, you know, there's there's it's a whole story. So if you're listening to audio, it can't just be random clips like the mic'd up part of the NBA. Like you're just hearing random sound sound bites. I think they have some pretty talented people, obviously over there that they could, that could figure this this question out. But how do you make these audio clips or these these audio pieces enticing that people will listen to it and they'll tune in consistently i don't know exactly how you do that uh just off the top of my head right now but it's definitely a problem or um a challenge to figure out and once you once you figure that out with a creative solution i think they just figured out a new revenue stream for themselves
1: yeah because i think that content is probably one of the dopest things that you can like consume on the nba right like watching mel say get the fuck out of here after every rebound like that's (laughs) Like, like that's probably, like, the best part of the game. And and they're shutting him that up, uh, like, with the noise thing, guys. Um, anyway, I think, honestly, I see it hard to be just audio. Like, I, I think the missing video component makes a lot. Maybe because I'm thinking of, like, the mic dub type of content they were putting out, which I loved. Um, like, the, the video made a lot of it. Right? Like, if I hear the ref talking to the other ref, but I don't know the context, then I'm losing a lot of the stuff. So I, I think the video helps a lot in terms of like giving you the full picture and the full story of what's happening. So like you said, I, I don't have a solution of how that looks. I think that's something that the fans are craving and that we would love to have, whether it's uh, paid or uh, a more expe- extensive version of mic dub. And I'm sure they'll figure it out, especially now, like you said, that there's no fans on, this, on, on the stands and the audio is a bit more clear as well. So there's something there i just don't know how to monetize it or how the product can can be created but definitely something could potentially be special
0: i feel like they're gonna in like 10 years kind of do what they did with the last dance and create it into a whole storyline documentary series with all like you know some 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 mic'd up like points that tell a whole story of a whole season. Um, and not maybe for a specific team, but just, like, throughout the whole season. You know how, like, the Super Bowl, after, after teams win the Super Bowl, they have, like, the Super Bowl DVDs they sell that kind of, like, break down the story of leading yeah. up to it. I think they'll do something similar or could do something similar um, utilizing the, the the audio assets from the encore.
1: Yeah, what I thought they were going to put out at some point or another is this virtual reality, uh, like, glasses that it looks like you're actually sitting front row. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can watch the game and you can turn your head. I saw some test trials of that that I thought was dope. Um, So I think eventually we'll move into like a more inclusive experience for people who are watching the game at home. Uh, And it can be like, I I think there's a lot of technical potential in the NBA that uh, I believe the commissioner is one of the greatest business owners that you can see around and he'll find a solution in all this for sure. Absolutely. Hey, well, thank you
0: guys both for, for first and foremost agreeing to give me your time and hop on the Culture Talks podcast today. Um, again, you guys both had so many great points and, and you guys both do an extremely great job of being effective with how you explain whatever you're trying to say. Um, so I appreciate you guys greatly with that being said. I do have to go do my my other job and uh, go train a client at the track right now. So um, I look forward to communicating with you guys again in the future. But can both of you guys plug your social platforms or anything that you want to plug right now to promote um, uh, before we hop off the podcast?
1: Yeah, I, I have my, my other podcast that, that I run. Probably not as good as you run this one, but I, I do what I can. Um, it's called, what's it called? Fuck. Uh, podium stories with Martiz Sanchez come on man uh, and yeah I think it's dope we're interviewing B2B CEOs I think it's an interesting one to to catch after you catch this one so if you want to hear another podcast that, one, that one's really good too
2: uh, yeah so for me you could connect with me uh, on Instagram that's where I put a lot of my content out uh, so it's Brenova B-R-A-N-A-V
0: and then four A's at the end uh, that'll probably be the best way to connect with me Amazing, amazing! Again, thank you guys both. Also, Marty, stop lying. Your post production on your podcast is seventy five thousand times better than mine. But content is content. Let's keep dishing it out. This is what we do. Providing. Hey, let's keep going. Let's keep going. I'm proud of both you guys and what you guys are doing. Thank you for hopping on, and I look forward to talking again.
1: Thank you for having me, man. Thank you. Nice meeting you, Ramba. Appreciate it. All right, you too, man.